More pro days and team visits are popping up, and the betting markets are slowly coming along as well, along with new mock drafts, both new mock draft for myself and Scott Smith here over at 4 for 4, and we're going to unpack those here today on Move the Line. Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here as always by Connor Allen, Scott Smith, excited to talk NFL Draft from the Masters Eve. So, you know, if you're by the time you're listening to this, uh, hopefully your early Masters bets. If you're watching this and you're betting in the NFL Draft, hopefully you're betting on on uh, the best golf betting events of the year as well. Um, I think Connor Allen is. I know Scott Smith is a little bit. Scott, how are we doing? Good. Uh, going Shuffler this week? Going with Scheffler this week. It's it's just it's just too damn good, man. He's he's got a little he's got all of it. So, uh, Connor, are you getting down on the Masters at all? Yeah, I gotta queue up your article over at Betsford's Golf and start firing away because I'm sure I missed most of the value. But uh, as someone who's a very much amateur golf better, uh, I'll just fire up whatever I can and you know bet bet whatever I can at this point to get the best prices. Lots of different ways to bet uh, the Masters. It's great. So lots of different ways to bet the draft. Not what we had hoped coming into the year. I'm still holding out a little bit of hope and optimism that the books will, uh, I think no one wants to go first, Connor. Is that your impression? Like none of these books really want to put themselves out there in terms of like the over-unders, like in comparison to, you know, the the number of options that we had last year, the books got cooked. Obviously is why, you know, there's such a thirst for it and no one really wants to be the first one out there in terms of staking someone's new over under or putting out a new market entirely. Like the books are kind of waiting to, to copycat and see if they can, you know, kind of minimize the damage of going first. Yeah. So in jest yesterday, I tweeted out cause they put a dropped a new market for Jake Moody, a place kicker, you know, a kicker right. like team to draft Jake Moody. Um, and I tweeted out like, Oh, the market we've all been waiting for. And I actually had a DraftKings trader slide in my DMS and be like, Hey, like, you know, be like, did you bet like this? It was the Lions were 75 to one. Like we accidentally messed up on this or something like that. And I was like, oh, like I didn't know, like I didn't know who this guy was, but I started messaging him. He's like, Do you want us to put some new over-unders up? I'm like, yes, put up everything, please. Like as soon as possible. And I was like, what's going on? Like, where's the rest of the market? Why does no one else have anything? Because frankly, DraftKings actually is doing the best they can because they're putting up the most and they're putting up them first, but no one else is copying him. And he's basically like, Well, it's just a lot harder for us to be the first to take a stand with every single market because we're just getting beat up on it because no one's going to make money on this. So it's just like really hard for them to not only set a good line, but want to be the first at every single market. So basically what he said is that they're coming, but it's just going to be a little while. And he's not sure what the other companies are doing, but he said he imagines hopefully after the masters, he sees a lot more. Like I said, the uh, focus today are uh, recent mock drafts from Scott and myself. Uh, we're going to pop those up on the screen as we've done previously with the recent uh Daniel Jeremiah mock drafts, uh, the one that we had from uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. Um, this is a, you know exciting process. As Scott and I have some overlap. I think we have some discussion around where we are. I don't think we're very far off on a lot of things, uh, which I think is obviously you know a good thing. It just becomes a matter of uh, are those is, you know are we in the same echo chamber or is there action to be taken from some of these places? where we're aligned uh, before we jump into the specifics of the mocks and remind folks you can get access to all of our betting stuff over at four for four uh go to the, get the betting subscription gets you literally everything on our site all the tools resources articles including our draft coverage um again if you want to get just a taste of that for a couple of months we partner with no house advantage uh they are a pick them site download no house advantage in the app store use promo code four for four bets and you're going to get that just a minimum deposit of five dollars 
using that promo code and you're going to get a three month betting subscription. So uh, that's usually like $150. So pretty good deal to just kind of dip your toes in the water to see what we're about uh, and get you literally access to everything, including subscriber only discord, where we post all of the official plays. We posted an official one today as well. And we'll get to that here when we break down the mock. So definitely want to check that out. If you're on the golf side and you want to dip your toes into the master stuff, betsworthsgolf.com. You can use promo code rain delay. You get 50% off of a uh, month subscription over there too. So you want to make sure your your all your betting needs are covered here. So uh, Scott, uh, uh, talk to me kind of about your your process. We talked about this episodes ago, but if anyone's jumping in, and again, if you are new, uh, you can find us on YouTube on Four for Four Bets, uh, Move the Line Podcast, wherever you find podcasts. We've been doing this every week. Scott's talked a little bit about his process in building a mock draft, but uh, Scott, for the new listeners, talk to us a little bit about how you go about kind of creating and crafting a mock draft. So for me, uh, mock draft goes uh, on a lot of things. I, I try to track down all of the information that I can, um, specifically when it comes to the, the iteration that you're seeing up here. Last week, as soon as we got done finishing the show, I, I kind of told both of y'all that, look, a lot of what I'm hearing in the streets is that Tennessee is interested in moving up. I'd already kind of had my mock draft done. I just need to kind of put my blurbs to each player. And here a, a week later, a day or two ago, you see Daniel Jeremiah reporting the same thing that that I was talking about and that I was hearing. Um, you know, basically for me, I, I try to evaluate basically the top 50 players and, and figure out who those guys are through, you know, reputable evaluators and, and you know, different talent sites. And um, I kind of eliminate the bottom 10. So that 40 to 50 range, every now and then you may have a guy that pops up. Um, so I, I try to narrow down the top 37 to 38 players. And then I look across everybody's mock drafts. I, I'm trying to see if there's some things that I'm missing out, some trends coming from some other people that are tuned in that, you know, maybe I'm not in on. And um, I am evaluating everybody's mock drafts in the same way I would evaluate my own. Um, there are some some news and some things like that that I, I get that may not be mainstream um, with a lot of the big-time media analysts and stuff that I'll, you know, tend to add and, and maybe zig when they're zagging in some of it. But, you know, the, the first three mock drafts that I do are all, for, for better terms, it, it's just an exercise. It's a, it's a thought process of, you know, if this is going to play out this way, how is the rest of the, the draft going to fall? If, you know, this team selects this position, what is that going to do to the, the rest of the teams and, and needs and things like that? So I think at this point, if you just look at our draft side by side, you're going to see that we've kind of narrowed down the top 10 to 12 players that we think are going to go in that, that top 10. And I think when it comes to mock draft grading, um, as far as accuracy and stuff, I think that's where you're going to make the the most points up in, in your accuracy grading because you're looking to get a, a good eight players matched to the proper team within that that range. Um, so that's more or less the the foundation for mine is that those top ten picks and, and trying to narrow down what those teams are going to do, and then try to to pick up a little bit of information in the in the media and then you know, just different areas to, to kind of piece together some, some other things on the back two thirds of the draft. So that's how I look at it. Um, and, and, and some of it's just finding a player in a team that match from a scheme standpoint. So that's uh, pretty much what I do. And it's, it's worked out and I've had some, some lucky years and I've had some, some other okay years. Yeah. So if you're new to the show, you're not familiar with Scott, Scott's done a uh, very, very, very good job 
uh, and mocking uh, NFL drafts for the last handful of years. So he is uh, humble and going to tell you these, you know, run into some luck. Um, he's really good at this. Is the reason why he uh, he's here and does this. So um, if you are listening in the audio podcast, uh, it might be a little harder. We're going to talk through this, hopefully explain it as if you are uh, just listening. But if you could tune into the YouTube page, you can see we have graphs up right now with Scott and I's mocks side by side where you can see where there's overlap, where there's discrepancy, guys that we have – um, we would both have some guys that are going maybe a little bit early. Um, and, you know, the other person doesn't have that person going in the first round at all. So there is definitely a little discrepancy towards the back end of the draft. Uh, Connor, I'm going to kick it to you. We have fired a couple of drafts or a couple of plays for subscribers since the last time we met. Um, the first one was about a week ago around kind of what we're feeling that seems to be happening at the top of the draft where we feel a little bit more safe in terms of how we think this draft is starting. Now, a pretty reliable mock drafter, Lance Zerline came out and had a pretty wild <laughs> mock draft a little bit yesterday. Now, again, to Lance's, a wild is relative to what the consensus has been. So to be fair, like that doesn't mean that Lance is wrong. It just seems way off. And I think that there were some secondary pieces of it that seemed very questionable, but the most mocks seem to be kind of rounding into form with what Scott and I have both done at one and two. And we made some plays that kind of echoed that sentiment. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that needs to be said here. So first off Lance and Daniel Jeremiah in his previous mock, who also had Bryce young at number one have basically both said, like, we're just trying different scenarios. Kind of like Scott said, it's an exercise. You know, if young goes one, what happens to two? And I think Lance is pretty convinced that, they like Bryce Young so much that they would consider passing on C.J. Stroud, potentially go another direction. Now, I've floated that idea actually to some of our friends, uh, Ryan, and they said that that was not what they heard, and that was actually the opposite of what they heard. They said that they also very much like C.J. Stroud, the Texans do. So I think that I get where Lance is coming from. Lance, is, again, has been probably the most plugged-in public reporter uh, for the Texans that we know. But again, that kind of assumes that Stroud doesn't go number one. And Lance did not step onto that podium and say, I'm hearing that, you know, uh, Young is going to go one. He's just saying, if Stroud doesn't go one, this is what happens. And I think there's a big difference here between the last few drafts. I mean, NBA, NFL, we've seen some crazy stuff happen where Aiden Hutchinson was the massive favorite. Then Trayvon Walker goes number one. But if you think about leading up to that draft specifically, there was like a drumbeat of public reporters and kind of like things we were hearing behind the scenes. So it was... Peter Schrager coming out three weeks before the draft. Hey, I'm hearing that, you know, uh, the 40 or that the Jaguars really, really like a guy like Trayvon Walker. And then you started hearing Daniel Jeremiah say the same thing. And like, this is like three, four weeks. This is right about now. We've heard nothing from a reputable source that says, oh, the Panthers are really liking Bryce Young or, you know, this is heating up. There's been none of that. So until we hear a reputable source behind the scenes or publicly say anything like that, for me, it just has to be Stroud Young. Like, there's no reason outside of just having fun for it to be any other way at this point. And we got some of the release news around some you know testing that typically doesn't come out around how well Bryce Young tested. Um, and my pushback on that was like, yeah, that matches the tape. Like I think the Bryce Young thing has always been about his size and it hasn't been about his ability to process information quickly. You're really to make any of the throws. It's just, are you comfortable with a guy that is a statistical outlier in terms of height and weight? We haven't seen anyone succeed at this level being that build. Um, seems like the Texans, I think a team will in the top five, for assuredly um, take that shot because he is that special of a talent. Um, but I understand why a team would be, especially if you have them close, 
Um, we know the infatuation that some in the Panthers organization organization have for CJ Stroud. Um, it makes sense that we've kind of landed here. So we took a couple of variations of Stroud and Young um, going number one. There are numerous ways we felt like that number was probably not going to get better and felt like it was an opportunistic time to kind of fire at that. So um, and you see the alignment there for both Scott and I in the mock drafts. Yeah, and I think that something else to add too, I think that this year is more similar to what we saw with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson at one and two rather than like Walker and Hutchinson because like during that draft, for some reason, it was just assumed like everyone was like, well, hey, the Jets like Zach Wilson, even though he wasn't a great prospect, but there was just no pushback on it. There was, again, yeah. it was similar to this. Like there was no like, oh, I'm hearing that someone else could go three. I'm hearing Justin Fields could go three or whatever, whoever else is in that draft. Like there was none of that. It was just like, it was just Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence going one and two. And that was it. And that's kind of like what I'm hearing here until we hear anything else. That's just the vibe that I'm getting. Scott has a really unique start with four quarterbacks going in the top four. Um, we're not super far off. I, you know, chickened out because I kind of agree with him. I do think that there is some steam and it's increased since last time we talked, uh, since I did my mock, this came out on uh, Thursday or Friday of last week, the drumbeat of the Titans getting involved uh, in the quarterback market, uh, makes a lot of sense. And, um, I mocked Will Levis down at 11, kind of just left the Texans or the Titans where they are. Um, Scott made the trade up that seems to be rumored because the Cardinals make a great sell spot. They need a plethora of uh, positions. They need to kind of restock. They have a lot of needs. They are a really interesting spot, knowing that the Colts sit there at four, who are very likely to get involved in the quarterback market as well. So if a team has one of, in this instance, Levis or Richardson ahead of one of the others, you kind of want to get ahead of the Colts to secure that guy. Scott, you went ahead and secured Anthony Richardson to the Titans. Uh, Will Levis going forward to the Colts. Um, I know, again, you've been on it for a couple of weeks. Uh, anything else that you want to add to that or thoughts on just kind of maybe the Titans being on Richardson over Levis in that spot? I think there's going to be a couple of things here to unpack. Um, the first thing you have to look at when it comes to the Titans, what I'm hearing is that they have been shopping around multiple players, um, and that includes Derrick Henry. But the the person that uh, that I have heard chopped around a good bit has been Jeffrey Simmons, who is a, a young player, um, you know, towards the top five at, at his position there in the NFL. I, I think when you start looking at could the Titans move up to three and what would it take for the Cardinals essentially to, to be willing to move down to 11. And it, it could be a player like Jeffrey Simmons who would have to be extended. The other team that I've heard rumored um, and, and kind of in the market for that as well would be uh, Detroit there at six to be interested in Jeffrey Simmons as well. Um, I just think with uh, Ryan Tannehill, he's what, like 34. I think this is going to be his last year. There has to be a, another out for the Titans at quarterback past Malik Willis. The early returns last year were not good. I haven't heard that it's gotten any better throughout the offseason. So I think for those reasons, the Titans are very much in this quarterback mix. Are they going to want to move up? two, three, or, you know, in that range to, to take a player like, Anthony Richardson that we've all said is going to need a year or two to develop. 
that's the the question mark there is that price and that risk worth it to move up to that position in this exercise and in this mock draft i wanted to see what the board would look at based upon some of the rumors that that i heard um and that i've been tracking and that was the reason why i decided to move them to three and this is the way the board laid out the other reason that I kind of moved them there is because I have been hearing a little bit of steam with Will Levis at four to Indianapolis. Um, you know, it's a little bit of smoke, some things that are, are there in, in some some different areas. But I, I think overall, it's it may end up being difficult for quarterbacks to come off the board of one through four. Um, I, I think the same way that the Cardinals are, are going to be there to move down, I think you could very much see Indianapolis moving up one pick because it's going to take them not that much to do it. And then also, you know, the Cardinals, are they going to be willing, if they can move down, add an extra pick, you know, a little bit of, of something to get an asset and then still be able to draft Will Anderson. I think that's very much in the market. So for, for this, I just wanted to see what it was going to look like for Tennessee to move up. I think it is a viable option. And that's why I went went there. Like I, I put this mock draft together, I think last Thursday, and um, you know we're talking about it now. And uh, I think it's a viable option. It's something that could happen, but I think it in the end it may end up being hard to get four quarterbacks in the top four picks. Just such a domino effect, Connor, in terms in terms of really the top five, top ten, uh, which always is the case. But again, with the quarterback dynamic and expected trades. It has just another element of like just a little bit difficult to navigate some of the early over-unders that we have in terms of where guys are posted because it's just a handful of things here. If, uh, the ability to clearly identify that a team prefers Richardson over Levis, uh, a trade that we're all speculating to happen. I feel like now we're just we basically shifted from the Bears, assuming that they're going to trade out of one. Now everyone's just waiting for the Cardinals to trade out of three. Like it would seem very strange at this point. And really the betting market would tell you that because Will Levis's over-under came out. I'm sorry, Will Anderson's over-under came out at three and a half, basically even. And now it's like minus 500 for him to go over three and a half. So like they're telling you that they don't think he's like the Cardinals are staying three because he still kind of feels like the consensus first defensive player overall don't feel like they would necessarily go corner over Anderson while corner is very much a need. Again, they have a quarterback. Um, you can make a discussion for another day that they should, you know, address that position and try to move off of Kyler Murray. That's for a different show. But um, like, again, the betting market's telling you that the Cardinals are going to eventually trade that pick. Yeah. I'd, I also, I mean, there were some rumors about Anderson just not being a fantastic fit for them, which I don't really know how that makes sense. But, you know, again, that like, you know, that was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, if they don't like love Anderson, right, you know, maybe they're more interested in moving down, trading for a corner, uh, you know, getting Gonzalez or Witherspoon or something like that. Makes a lot if they're moving down to seven, if they move down to, to like 11, even potentially they could land a corner there um, as well. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that they can come out here, you know, you know, major advantage. So, yeah, I think the four quarterbacks, we're going to see four quarterbacks go off the board here because at the end of the day, um, like even – you know, again, if they trade down with Indianapolis, I guess it would probably be three quarterbacks and then maybe the fourth one to Seattle there or the Raiders, depending on how that shakes out. But I really think we're going to see at least three quarterbacks in the top three, um, if not four, if they trade down far enough here, because I think there's very heavily incentivized now to trade down because they're going to get offers for like, like, why would you not trade down if you get a second round pick from Indy or, you know, a third round pick from Indy? Like, I think that that's almost like a no brainer, but they're probably just holding out and waiting to see if they can get more from the Raiders, more from the Titans, something like that uh, at this point. Because, I mean, I heard things were heating up last week, like late last week, um, and that they were going to make a move here soon. 
but you know that obviously hasn't materialized yet uh, as a midweek. Uh, you know this this week, so we'll see. I mean, maybe they just didn't get the offer they wanted and think they can get more, and they still might. I mean, we don't know for sure. I mean, I think we know for sure who's going to be available at three, but we don't know no yet, and it could very well be a draft day thing. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Feel like, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. We'll jump to where uh, how we address the position, but I feel like the Raiders are a little bit out on the quarterback thing at this point. I feel like they're less likely to be a viable trade option. in again, another team that has a lot of needs I feel like the way that they structure the Jimmy G deal, it makes sense for them to, you know, they can do that in a way that puts them in position to maybe come back and address it next year. Again, kind of you, you make the addition of Jimmy G to then give up resources to move up to add a guy who's likely going to sit behind them this year. Seems like a bizarre team building exercise. They've been adamant, apparently, um, anyone that will listen the last 48 hours, they're going to take the best player available. Um, I don't know that that makes for a quarterback again, that could be a smoke screen. That could be them, you know, kind of jockeying and, um, you know, kind of just positioning themselves to do something different, but it makes sense to me from a team building standpoint for them to sit home at seven. If they identified a quarterback and will Levis is their guy and he falls to them, that makes sense. But if they feel like, Hey, we're not going to go up and jump up and, and pay that premium, kind of understand that um any thoughts on that scott uh so what you hit on right there i i think the raiders are a little bit more invested and a little higher on jimmy garoppolo than what most fans are, are reading into um i i think they're are well invested we've discussed before how easy it is for them to get out of the contract should they choose to do so um i, I find it hard to believe that the raiders would be confident that Garoppolo can make it through an entire season. I think they're comfortable with his play. And the the rumors and some of the information that I have tracked down actually has the Raiders. I, I found them a little bit more connected to Will Levis than Anthony Richardson, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, and I, I think the Raiders will be comfortable sitting at seven. I, I tend to think that they may be out on moving up. I, I think there there are some prospects there at seven that they're comfortable with if they miss out on quarterback. So I tend to think that the Raiders may end up staying put. Yeah, I agree with that point. Let's uh, let's go to Seattle. Seattle is a team that is somewhat feels like they want you to think that they're in the quarterback mix. Maybe they are. Uh, the Geno deal is friendly in a similar way that the Garoppolo deal is friendly. You know, they pick again at 20. This is kind of a luxury pick because this is the Denver pick from last year. You know, you're not going to get enough shots, you know, year after year to be at the top of the board, to take a shot at developing a quarterback, bringing in a quarterback. Again, like they went out years ago and signed Matt Flynn to a nice free agent deal. And then they drafted Russell Wilson uh, in the third round and allowed a quarterback competition to happen. So, like, there is some, you know, a little bit of examples here in Seattle of them doing that before, like, Connor, do you do you feel that Seattle is a, a true player in the quarterback market? Um, let's just stay at five. I don't believe that they would trade up to solidify that. But um, if someone slides there, do you do you really think that they're in the market there? Yeah, I think that they're they're in play. But like kind of like what I mentioned earlier, I think that they're probably if we see a quarterback times four start, obviously they will not have that opportunity. But I think that they would be thrilled to be able to get a guy like will anderson like we see in scott's mock here at five of them landing will anderson that's plus 175 on DraftKings. currently will anderson is the favorite to go number five actually at this point um you know but that being said it, it wouldn't surprise me for them to be in the anthony richardson sweepstakes either because they're in such a good position with gino um you know i think that richardson offers significantly more than 
basically anything they've had from a quarterback, uh, you know, in the last few years with, with his legs, obviously Russ was fine as a runner, but you know, again, Anthony Richardson, just the next level here. Also Rob Staten, the guy who's super plugged in with the Seahawks mentioned that, you know, Richardson would be in consideration for them. Uh, it did mention that uh, a guy like Tyree uh, Wilson would not be necessarily in consideration for them. So like, I think that Will Anderson or, at this point, it's between Will Anderson and Anthony Richardson for me. At least that's kind of the way that I'm, you know, shaping up to it. But, uh, you know, I'm open to other opinions there. I know that you have Wilson at five, but again, the only reason I had don't think Wilson is there because of Staten. And I know Staten is, I think he's been good lately. But you know, again, it's obviously a lot of faith to put in one person's opinion because I haven't heard much else. Yeah. So I think the way that the mock again, if I were to have made the trade with with Tennessee, which I think makes a lot of sense, or just having the Cardinals trade out at all. Um, that naturally is going to put Will Anderson at five to Seattle. Um, in my mock, I just I held strong with you know the no trade for Arizona, but I think that that makes sense. I'm curious uh, as far as far as why he thinks Tyree Wilson isn't a fit, unless there's something specific about the prospect. Because really, like that team is done a really good job at team building. They've had a nice off season as well. Great draft last year. They really need edge rushers they need uh, guys that can pressure the quarterback like they added Traymond Jones as far as like a defensive tackle they could add another guy there we've talked about the Jalen Carter thing like I can understand maybe Jalen Carter's off their board from a character standpoint whatnot but like Tyree Wilson feels like a good fit for them but again in this instance I think they're going to be able to get an edge rusher with Will Anderson uh, if the Cardinals are able to kind of make that trade so um, let's talk about something we've talked about basically every single time that we met. And that is the first quarterback off the board discussion. We both landed on a quarterback to the Lions at six. Now, again, the Lions have addressed the cornerback position in free agency. Um, but, you know, Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Mosley's a one-year deal. Like, those aren't necessarily, like, prime shutdown guys. They're running up into the fifth-year option on Jeffrey Dakuda, uh, top pick from a couple of years ago. They need to add depth at the position. Um, we've been waiting on, and Scott has been kind of, you know, beating the drum. Like we need to know Witherspoon's measurables. We need to have him, uh, we need to have him at least run. Uh, he ran today his pro day. Um, he did not run at the Illinois pro day, but it had his own separate one today. Again, like how cozy does your own like school pro day get? And then your own pro day, like, again, like the way that they set these things up for these guys to just absolutely nail it. Uh, but good job to the uh, Witherspoon camp because he did. Uh, went out and ran, uh, you know, in the four fours. Connor and I were talking before he ran, like we kind of, you know, threw out, hey, if we're anywhere sub four or five, we're kind of taking a position here and firing off because we've seen more and more reputable mocks as well put Witherspoon, whether it's in their big board or in mock drafts, ahead of Christian Gonzalez, who also I think is a fantastic prospect. The tiebreaker to me has always been a little bit about scheme and Witherspoon's played a higher rate of man which is kind of fits the line scheme a little bit more than how Gonzalez profiles. And uh, yeah, Gonzalez and Witherspoon. I, I put Witherspoon. Connor and I made that bet today. Witherspoon first cornerback off the board at plus 150. I moved pretty quickly uh, after we did so. I still think there are some plus numbers out there. But uh, Scott, talk to me about the Gonzalez and Witherspoon discussion again. So we've been pretty split, you and I, at least as far as, uh, you know, which one we have. And, and... I, I don't want to diminish Devin Witherspoon at all as a prospect. I, I think these guys are 1A and 1B. I, I think historically we have some things that point in Christian Gonzalez's direction. Um, the, you look at mainstream media, Todd McShay, 
Todd McShay is talking out of both sides of his mouth when it comes to both of these prospects. Because on the one hand, he's saying Devin Witherspoon is absolutely going to be the first cornerback off the board. And then the very next sentence out of his mouth discussing Christian Gonzalez is that he's got the best pure cover corner skills like in the draft. So you start talking about fit. And yes, you have, you know, Witherspoon who played more man coverage, which may, you know, put him in the in contention there for Detroit. But when you look back at draft history, which is what I tend to fall back on, GMs kind of give you the trends of how they look at prospects. And I, I went back over the last 10 years. Over the last 10 years, the first cornerback off the board has been, you know, has not been an underclassman one time. And that was in 2015 with Trey Waynes. So when you start looking at athleticism, which, yes, Witherspoon ran his 40 today, and I think that 40 put him back in the talk of being the first cornerback off the board. But the rest of his athletic profile, because he did not test and did not do all the things that, that you're looking at, the rest of his athletic profile is a little bit incomplete to, to some of these GMs. Um, there's also going to be medical checks and things. But the other thing with these cornerbacks that get drafted first off the board when, when you're talking about it is that they all have a relative athletic score at 8.35 or above which when you start looking at Christian Gonzalez, his is well over nine. So I think some of those trends, when you start talking about GMs and how they look at, at players from an athletic ability, and you know we, we talk about it in fantasy football all the time, when you start, start scouting wide receivers, we want guys that declare early. I don't hold it against Witherspoon that he was a one-star or zero-star prospect coming out of high school. If anything, to me, it shows the character of somebody who – was not a highly recruited player that worked his ass off to get to where he's at to put himself in a position to be talked about as the first cornerback off the board. So to me, from a background standpoint that you're going to find out in interviews is that, you know, he's probably got a really hard work ethic. You know, that would just be a guest of mine with the way he has developed over his four years in college. But I still think when it comes to GMs, GMs value those high-level prospects that were at the cream of the crop when they are in high school, go through college, they're at the cream of the crop when they're in college, they test well at the combine, most athletic player that they have, you know, at the, at, at the position, and at every level that they played, they're at the top. And I think that is where Christian Gonzalez is going to come into play to be the first cornerback selected off the board. Um, like I said, I, I think when you compare these players, they do a few things differently. But I think they're a 1A and 1B, and I tend to lean a little bit more towards Christian Gonzalez because of where he has been throughout his career, his athletic measurables, and the trends of GMs drafting underclassmen, early de declarations as the first cornerback off the board for the last 10 years. It's only happened one time that they haven't. That was Trey Wayne's in 2015. And I don't think anybody's like hollering from the rafters that Trey Wayne had this great career as a as NFL cornerback. So that's that's my stance and my pushback on Witherspoon being number one. It makes sense. I have a, I have a question though. So specifically looking at the Lions though. So there are a few things I, we talked about in the last episode. Obviously, one of the highest rates of man in the league. Witherspoon played like eighty plus percent man. Gonzalez is more of a zone corner. That's all fine. You know, maybe a better scheme fit. On top of that though, like you talked about, you know, uh, generally corners who go in the top ten are incredible spec athletic specimens. On uh, Witherspoon is probably not that. He's probably just like above average. Um, that being said, the Lions, uh, you know, just took a guy, Aiden Hutchinson, who obviously, you know, 
tested well in terms of RAS, but was not exactly the guy with like the longest reach or, you know, like the necessarily the biggest, uh, you know, like, like he wasn't like necessarily a toolsy guy, you know, something like that. So I think from like a, like a team exact team perspective, I don't know much about the Raiders. Honestly, the Raiders are completely throwing me off the board here. They do play man too, but from like a team fit, for me, I really like this Lions fit. I know that you have Gonzalez there, and I think that from a prospect perspective, in, in most teams' boards, he's probably better. But this Lions team, I just keep coming back to all these little things that just like, you know, make me think that Witherspoon would be their kind of guy. And especially, you know, I know Nunes talked about it before. I mean, he's got that dog in him, right? I mean, we saw the medicals. He's literally got the dog in him. <laughs> the, the other pushback I would have against my own argument that aligns with what you're saying, you, you look at who the coaches are over there, and I think you've got Aaron Glenn, smaller cornerback, may look at a guy like Witherspoon and, and see him himself in, in him. And Dre Bly. Dre Bly, the corner, the defense, the secondary coach, is also a, a guy who is about 5'10", 188, that, that may also see Witherspoon, a little bit of Witherspoon, himself in Witherspoon. So I'm not disqualifying Devin Witherspoon at all from being a link there to, to Detroit. I just tend to lean a little bit more on what the historical trends from GMs say. And like I said, I, I, I think – these two guys are, are one A and one B. I, I don't have an argument or a, a bad feeling if one gets picked above the other. Um, I, I just think that that there is a very good argument for both sides of this coin when it comes to both of those guys. If we're playing devil's advocate, yeah, I think there's a good chance that Christian Gonzalez is the better cornerback. To be honest, I mean, he does, as you said, he, the athletic testing is incredible. A little bit taller, all of those things. Um, and I'm splitting hairs too. I have Gonzalez literally going in the next pick seven to the Raiders. So like this is very close and I don't know Christian Gonzalez in terms of, you know, what we hear character wise have not heard anything bad about him, but we've heard really good things. And you kind of laid it out too, Scott, in terms of Devin Witherspoon about the work ethic and the character stuff is off the charts. And those things do really kind of ring a bell even more for me for Detroit. When we look at Brad Holmes, how he wants to build a team, what we get out of that head coach and Dan Campbell and the type of guy that he wants to bring in does feel a little bit more again to the point, like part of it for making the bet for Connor. And I, I think I'll speak for Connor was that we felt like it should have probably have been all along closer to a coin flip. And the market was telling us something different where you were getting almost minus 200 on Christian Gonzalez. You're getting, you know, plus 150 plus 160 for a little bit on Witherspoon. And thinking that we might get a high five, four, five, or even a four, six or something on Witherspoon. Well, then that's a no brainer. This isn't even a discussion. I back way off of my Devin Witherspoon stuff. There's no doubt it's Christian Gonzalez, but uh, you know, four, three, eight, four, four, two, you know, we're kind of in that mix or what a four, four, six or whatever, you know, that, that's a pretty good number for him. So, um, and six feet tall. So like, we're not dealing with a, to Connor's point, he's not big. He's not small. He's he's probably middle of the road, athletic size wise, and all those things. So, um, I feel like we've been talking for five minutes. Apparently, the sign says we've been talking for thirty-five minutes. We made it through six picks. So we're gonna try to speed things up a little <laughs> bit here. This is just very easy. I can do this for hours. We get off every show. We try to keep it to an hour. I'm like, I could have done that for another hour. Or so, but uh, uh, I like I said, went Christian Gonzalez. The next pick with the Raiders at seven. Um, Scott went with Tyree Wilson. Again, I already have Tyree Wilson off the board at five to Seattle, but only because uh, Will Anderson didn't come off the board uh, because I didn't mock the trade to Arizona. So we're kind of in a similar mix there. And then ironically, the eight, nine, 10 range, which I think we all think can be a number of ways for this to go. Scott and I are aligned with Bijan Robinson eight to the Falcons, 
Paris Johnson 10 to the Bears, and Jalen Carter uh, 10 to the Eagles. We'll start with Jalen Carter, who has been in the news um, saying that, you know, the, the Drew Rosenhaus's agent, we're not taking meetings outside the top 10 for Jalen Carter. Some people think that that's a little bit like, uh, how, why would you not do that? Teams can trade up. You know, you're being a little bit like boastful, you know, with all the situations that you have. He was on with Pat McAfee today and said straight up, they have what kind of amounts to, because you can't really do this in the NFL, is the guarantee in the top 10. They have a, basically, it feels like eight, nine, or 10, I would imagine, have told them that they are going to take Jalen Carter. So anyone that's reached out to Jalen Carter's camp outside of the top 10, his agent is simply asking them, are you planning to trade up into the top 10? Otherwise, you're not going to get my <laughs> you're not going to get my uh my player here because I have assurance that he's going somewhere else. So that becomes very interesting. The Eagles thing makes a lot of sense. They have some needs. They got to find a replacement long-term for Fletcher Cox, who they brought back. Uh, Vernon Har- or Jalen Hargrave, Javon Hargrave, I'm sorry, went to uh, the Niners in free agency. They have a need in the middle of the line there, Connor. Any thoughts on Jalen Carter in terms of him not visiting outside the top 10 or anything at 8, 9, and 10 that Scott and I did? Yeah, so I have a bet actually to run by you guys here, and I haven't released in the Discord, but I wanted to I wanted to hit you guys up, but I figured we'd wait till the show here. So you guys both have the Bears drafting offensive lineman here at nine uh, with Paris Johnson here. Um, but I was going kind of through their roster and looking at who they have and kind of piecing some th- things together. So I like where this is going because so I'm, they I'm have, very interested. So their offensive line right now, they have, according to PFF, Braxton Jones was like a fifth-round pick last year at left tackle. Expected to start was like a top 30 offensive tackle. Tevin Jenkins, a right tackle, top 15, apparently, according to Pro Football Focus, is great. Larry Borum, sixth round pick, played a good chunk of the season, played extremely well. They have Cody Whitehair, left guard, above average. Nate Davis, they just signed, right guard, above average. Lucas Patrick at center, again, not great. Like he was below the only below average offensive lineman they have in their grades. Uh, everyone else was actually pretty good. Not to mention they have depth because they have Braxton Jones and Larry Borum, both left tackle. So then you're looking at the board here. We had heard early on that they absolutely love a guy like Tyree Wilson. Now we're getting reports of them bringing in Jalen Carter twice into visits to really do that. Imagine if Ryan Poles can say, I traded down from the number one pick to be able to draft and still got the guy who was number one on our board in Jalen Carter. Because that was in consideration when they were sitting at number one. So for me, I, I don't want to play the exact like Jalen Carter to the Bears. Uh, I mean, maybe that's worth a look too, but... I think that to draft a defensive lineman is plus 200 right now on DraftKings and FanDuel, um, whereas offensive lineman is minus 190. So I get that, look, if it was like Quentin Nelson or like that level prospect, you're going to pass them up for like some bums, like fifth round, sixth round pick, but you're on like a cost-controlled offensive line that's performed way above expectation, and then you're getting potential studs in Tyree Wilson and Jalen Carter. My only concern is that they don't make it to them. Like, I for me, the way that I'm visualizing their board is it's probably Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, and then Paris Johnson slash Broderick Jones somewhere in that range. So I obviously, you know, I haven't confirmed this yet with my Bears guy, and I, I plan to prior to the draft. But for me, when I'm looking at it from an outsider's perspective, like plus 200 on that to get either, you know, uh, Tyree Wilson or Jalen Carter seems pretty good. Uh, any any thoughts there, Newton? What's the price on Carter to the Bears? Oh, that's a good question. Let me look that up. Scott, any, any initial thoughts there as well? Cause that, that's a good, that's a good thought. 
What I've been looking at when it comes to the Bears, and I, I do think that there's a need for left tackle. Um, I, I think when you look at it, uh, Paris Johnson and, and Justin Fields are very good friends. They're in, in constant contact weekly with uh, phone calls and things of that nature. Paris Johnson absolutely tore it up at the Ohio State Pro Day from from everything that I heard. Um, I When I look at these teams, I, I kind of keep a running list of – you know, option A, option B, and option C, and Jalen Carter and Paris Johnson are options A and B for me. I, I, I can see going Jalen Carter over Paris Johnson, and maybe Paris Johnson drops down. It, it's it's neck and neck with these two. I, I, I tend to think that they want to build a little bit more around uh, Justin Fields than, than necessarily going to defense, but I also look at the two linebackers that they signed, and I can absolutely see them wanting to put a beast like Jalen Carter in front of those guys to let those guys do work. Um, I think when we start looking at some of these numbers to come out, I, I think if we could get positive, if I could get at least you know positive action on you know Paris Johnson, like a number for Paris Johnson to be there, and also a number at Jalen Carter, I might take both sides of that coin. Yeah, so we're looking at plus four fifty team to draft Jalen Carter on DraftKings. I was hoping for closer to like six to one or something like that, but I think that that's still fine. Um, I definitely get your point about Paris Johnson, though. I think the other thing that I forgot to bring up too was that right now, if you look at kind of like. I guess, value over replacement, you know, so essentially like how much of an impact is this player going to make over the replacement? You're looking at a guy like Jalen Carter coming in and starting over, uh, what's his name? Justin Jones, a defensive tackle. Whereas, you know, obviously Paris Johnson is an upgrade over Borum or Braxton Jones. But again, like, I think that they, I mean, they played relatively well, you know, all things considered. Um, so like, I think that there's probably just a bigger bump in getting a guy like Jalen Carter, who's, I mean, again, like was the best defensive player and arguably the best defensive player in this draft over uh you know a Paris Johnson to Braxton Jones upgrade so just another thing to think about I think I don't know I might consider sprinkling a little bit like a little quarter unit on the Bears there because I think you could probably get that at FanDuel as well um I'm not sure if we can get it any other any other shops but I'll do some exploring there so I'm glad you you think that it's it's not outrageous though Scott Noonan any any takes now that I've said the price yeah so I was ironically thinking about it about an hour ago when I was uh driving home before the show here and I was thinking about uh you know, just the Bears needs and, and like so you mentioned Jenkins like Tevin Jenkins played really well last year mostly at guard and I know they signed Nate Davis but they could put him at the other guard position and uh, use some of the depth to kick out the tackles now that's why you are in the market for a tackle right so like you have a need for some of those guys if you want to be able to keep Jenkins in his position where it's not where you drafted him to play when they drafted him out of Oklahoma State a couple of years ago but he performed really well there last year. So like, just let the guy kind of cook where he cooked last year. And then you can do some other stuff. Um, it'd be really nice for them to have maybe the 32nd pick in the draft. Unfortunately, they don't have that and they can't add both these positions, but I think they're both very much in play where to your point, the price right now on two drafted offensive linemen feels a little bit higher than it should be. Um, I would lock in more so on them specifically to take Jalen Carter versus them to take a defensive uh, lineman because I, I do feel like it's probably a Carter play more so than a Tyree Wilson play, but I don't have any information on that. I just think that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to put him in the middle where they have a lot of needs. Now they have needs on the outside, but they have some guys coming back that are again, below average pass rushers, but like the needs that they have internally on the defensive line really, I think Trump where they have the needs on the edge. 
Yeah. And what, one more, I mean, would it be like that outrageous if, if for some reason they don't value an offensive tackle for them to pick like Lucas Van Ness here as well, if Carter and Tyree Wilson are gone, like, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I think that that he was in that range for a while too. So, um, and I mean, certainly kind of like, I guess there, I mean, he's 12 on Scott's mock right now. I think you have him a little bit further down the board, but he's been top 10 in a couple mocks here and there. So just something that I thought would be interesting plus 500 for Carter to go to the bears specifically on FanDuel as well. So I don't yeah. know, something I'll, I'll toy with. Maybe have a bet tomorrow morning when this, uh, this show gets released. The wild card here too, is that the Falcons who we both have taking B. John Robinson, I think are very much in play for Paris Campbell 100%. and Jalen Carter. So that, you know, all of a sudden that, you know, makes things pretty complicated. And that's why, We've been rattling our brains the whole time, and maybe why Scott, and I'll let Scott talk about why he landed on Bijan here. The Falcons can go any direction whatsoever. I mean, again, you end up picking at the top of the draft for a reason. You have a lot of needs. The Falcons have a ton of them. We heard them talk about wanting to add another running back on top of Tyler Algier, who did really well last year, but they obviously like to run the football. They really just, we were betting Marcus Mariota under 22 pass attempts in games last year, like just an insane like offense from like the early, early eighties um, in terms of like just throwing the football. So just lean into it and, you know, add the most dynamic back that we've had since maybe Saquon Barkley uh, come out. So again, they are in line to add an edge rusher, Tyree Wilson. They could take an offensive lineman, uh, DeJour, whoever they like there. And Jalen Carter makes a ton of sense to stay there in Georgia. Uh, and solidify the defense next to Grady Jarrett. Um, what are your thoughts there on uh, Atlanta Scott? So for me, uh, we've talked about Bijan Robinson being kind of hard to really project what teams just based upon the needs that are there in the top 14 to 15 picks. For me, I landed on Atlanta. There's been some some small rumors that that I've been hearing. Specifically, when you start breaking down Atlanta and you talk about positional values, specifically with running backs and you look at two years ago and realize that their GM does not care about positional value because he is the one who drafted Kyle Pitts, a tight end, in the top four picks. So when you start looking at some of the trends and decision-making, I fell on Atlanta because I don't think they're scared to go ahead and throw the positional value out of the window and just go ahead and take a player of Bijan Robinson, who you know, is clearly the top player at his position, and I think there's a big gap compared to a lot of these other positions. But I, I also look at Arthur Smith and what he did in Tennessee with designing his offense around Derrick Henry. And Bijan Robinson's a guy that he can do that around. You know, there's a lot of argument is Bijan Robinson as good of a prospect as what Saquon Barkley is whenever he got drafted. But I, I just landed on Atlanta because of connecting those dots right now that's a, a, a kind of the, the team within that range that I am most comfortable with and then you also just start hearing about some of the other flaws of these prospects and you know let, let's just say that a, a Will Levis or you know some of these other players do fall down past what we are projecting them at right now you know, what is Atlanta going to draft in? You know, I, I don't see them drafting either one of these quarterbacks, whether it be Levis or, or Richardson. And if they're truly going to go with Ritter and or Taylor Heineke, I, I think they want to give them as many pieces as they can. And I think if you don't have a viable quarterback to that can make the players around them better, then let's design our offense and lean on a strong running game. That's where I landed with Atlanta. I like it too. I have some uh, pretty good, 
little prices there in terms of uh, Bijan Robinson team to draft Bijan Robinson first position for the Atlanta Falcons to draft a running back. Uh, so pretty good numbers. So I'm hoping that, uh, that we're seeing something here. Um, we'll skip down to the Texans at 12. I actually originally had, this is a late change for me. I originally had Lucas Van Ness to the Texans at 12, which is exactly what Scott did there. Made a late change, put Jackson Smith and Jigba there. Um, I could see them going either way with their second pick. In this instance, I think because they're moving off of just the needs that they have at wide receiver, Brandon Cooks being gone, um, you really have just nothing in terms of pass catchers there. But again, I understand putting Van Ness there as well in terms of, you know, new head coach, D'Amico Ryans, wants to build up that defensive front, similar to what he had in San Francisco, wanted to build into that defense, and Van Ness is kind of an ascending prospect. Uh, as Scott mentioned, I think Connor mentioned there as well. I'll kind of run through a couple, and then you, let you guys circle back. Scott and I both have the Jets with Peter Skaronsky, um there at the offensive line. I think, again, at this point, one thing that I think when you're looking at discrepancies that Scott and I have, also think look at similarities, not just in terms of player, but in terms of position, because I think that that starts to make some sense in terms of what you think these teams can do. I think Skaronsky makes sense if he's to fall. And I think the Jets adding an offensive lineman, whether that's Skaronsky or a Broderick Jones, I think makes a ton of sense there as well. I put Jones next to the Patriots at 14. Uh, Scott went with Joey Porter Jr., the quarterback. Um, the cornerback issue, the Patriots have never, again, just in terms of tendencies of teams, they love to draft corners. They love to draft them on the second and third round. They have not drafted early corners a lot, and they've recently re-signed three internal free agents at the position in Jonathan Jones, Miles Bryant, and Jalen Mills. Now, none of those guys are necessarily standout. Um, they hopefully get a lot out of Jonathan Jones. And again, they drafted multiple corners last year, so I wouldn't be surprised. They're hoping to get some of those guys to step up this year. That would put me a little bit off of them to draft a corner here. But again, if they identify Porter as their guy, uh, that's of interest too. And Scott, I'll kick it to talk about Porter. And then if you want to add any Mac Jones stuff, we've had some Mac Jones rumors here in the last 48 hours in terms of issues in house in new England. Um, you know, Belichick's not necessarily shy to pull the trigger on trades. Um, what are your thoughts on Joey Porter, new England, Mac Jones, any of that stuff? So Joey Porter, I kind of just landed here. Cause I, I think his range, I don't know that he gets past, uh, Washington at, at 16 with the, the needs that they have. Um, there's not really a superstar there and that's an aging secondary. I, I kind of think that Bill Belichick may value Joey Porter's NFL bloodline, um, and, and some of that stuff. Um, he's, he's a player that has consistently improved. Um, you, you he has the Patriots also have good insight and, and good connections there with Penn State. Um, so that's kind of why I leaned on that. I, I also think when it comes to the Patriots and Bill Belichick, I think it's time that we start questioning Bill Belichick as also as a coach and as a, a GM. <laughs> um, well, you know, know he man. hasn't had much success since Brady left. Um, and the word with Mac Jones is that. He's pissed off that Mac Jones went to Alabama, his Alabama coaches who have to be mentors, you know, to him when he was there at Alabama to ask them for some advice on how to handle his current situation there in the NFL. And you look at what he decided to do with Matt Patricia, who's never held that position, never called plays. And I don't know how Bill Belichick looked at his roster, looked at his coaches, and decided that he thought that was going to be 
a good position to put a young quarterback in. I don't blame Mac Jones for going to his coaches. And then, you know, Bill O'Brien was was a coach there at Alabama. And now all of a sudden he's back with the Patriots now after Mac Jones does this. And you're you're hearing that they're shopping him. What's their other option going to be? Bailey Zappi? Are we that convinced that Bailey Zappi off of the, the small window that we got last year out of him, that he's that much better than Mac Jones with the position that you put either one of these guys in? So I think Mac Jones is kind of getting the raw end of the deal. I think there are some other teams that he could uh, be traded to if he did get traded and, and, and go and find more success than what he's had in, in New England, especially with the weapons and coaches that they've put around him. So I, I think it's time that we take Bill Belichick off of the pedestal that he's been on because of the, the success that he had while Tom Brady was there because we haven't seen him have much, much success without Tom Brady. Yeesh. So if they go ahead and get rid of Mac Jones, my question that I'd like to hear from either of you guys is, do they make a play for one of the quarterbacks in this draft? We got to clip that up. Take me off this podcast. My name cannot be tied associated <laughs> with any of this Belichick slander. Um, although I, it's hard to argue. I mean, they've been, they've airballed multiple drafts, very questionable decisions. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned Patricia and judge and all that they did last year. It's like, he wants to put his buddies in a good spot. Don't give him the coordinator name that way that like they could still collect their full paychecks from the teams that let them go, but put them in the same role, just kind of a, an absolute mess. But uh, I feel like he would have, because he has a tendency of doing this in the past that they make some trades or like, Whoa, like a little bit early. Like, why would you do that? And I think if it would have been to a point where they can't, they would have to be forced to divorce. I think they would have already done so. I think they would have moved off him. So I, I, I don't expect a trade to happen. I do think you want to give him a shot to have a professional offensive coordinator, more structure to the offense. Um, we saw a pretty good debut year out of him with some structure with an offensive coordinator. So I do agree that he has been on the you know raw end of things here. So uh, Connor lightly uh, talk to me about the Belichick and Patriot situation. BJ. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I think Scott's uh, Scott hit it on the head there. It's, you know, it just hasn't been pretty since Brady left and uh, I'm starting to question it. I, I thought Bailey Zappi was a baller. I thought he was awesome for most of the time there. He was making grid throws. Maybe it was just one of the like rookie, I don't know, like I guess beginner's luck, but I mean, he, he stepped in and made some awesome throws in a terrible offense. Uh, I mean, but it's no surprise Mac Jones is struggling. I mean, he went from throwing from incredible prospects at Bama in a great system to literally one of the worst receiving cores in the league in a horrible system. So, I mean, I think most quarterbacks would struggle. So I don't think they should give up on him. Uh, I don't really buy the reports that they're trying to get trade him. I, I don't even know what someone would trade, like like how much people would actually get for him. Like doesn't even make sense from that perspective either. So I'm just ignoring it. I think that they're, Probably not going to do anything. The teams that need a quarterback at this point are kind of at the top of the board, and they'd be giving up two years of a deal, the rookie deal, to trade for Mac Jones. So unless you have him way above some of those other guys, in terms of the teams at the top that we're talking about, I don't see a natural fit on the board. Now, if you want to get into a, a Minnesota or something like that, like that would make more sense. But then now Mac Jones is ready to play, and you still have Kirk Cousins. Like So you can't even really bring him in to address it for the future when you have someone in house. So it gets a little bit uh, convoluted there. Um, Scott has miles Murphy going to green Bay at 15. I also gave them a defensive end, uh, Lucas Van Ness, who Scott had coming off the board 12 to the Texans. Again, we're only, uh, you know, I did this about a week ago and we're talking about it now. If I were to change anything on my draft board, just in terms of moving someone up, it probably would be miles Murphy who, in January was often mocked in the top 10, uh, you know, high 
prospect. There are some questions around uh, Miles Murphy and then went out and had a tremendous pro day, um, you know, in the last couple of days. So he is, I think, definitely ascending. Uh, his vertical wasn't really special, but pretty much all the other testing for Miles Murphy was off the chart. So I can feel comfortable and feel pretty good about Scott mocking him there to uh, to 15 to Green Bay. If we were to get a over under on Miles Murphy in like the you know low twenties or something like that, it'd be something that I'd be jumping into to take the under on there as well. Uh, Brian Branch is another guy that I was big on. I thought he would find a home uh, early in the draft. Scott has him going to Washington. Uh, questions around the position that he'll play. Um, they have some safeties there in Washington. He maybe plays corner. Be interesting to see what happens there. I did not have Brian Branch um, in my mock. I had him originally going twenty eight to the uh the Bengals which I think makes a lot of sense too um Brian Branch is an interesting one too but you know Scott talk to me about your home for him in Washington well I am a Washington fan unfortunately um but I, I think there's there's a big time link with with Ron Rivera and that that front office uh being linked specifically with Alabama players Brian Branch ran a little bit on the slow side at his combine but he, he projects very similarly to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So I, I think he would be playing a little bit more of that nickel safety role. Um, they call it a Buffalo back there in, in, in the Washington defense. Um, I, I like the fit with a secondary. I, I think Washington would be ecstatic if they could get one of the top three cornerbacks to, to drop off the board. I, I think they're, they may end up looking at offensive line. But just the, the link with Alabama players there to Washington, specifically the Buffalo back position that they play in that in that defense and and kind of the role that Brian Branch would play, I think would would gives them a, a bit of a link there um, with that player going there. Um, but just just real quick to, to hit on one thing that I think um, we would maybe have to change, at least on my mock draft. A big difference that we have is Jackson Smith and Jigba, who you have at 12 and I have there at 20. And I, I think it's time to start moving, for me at least, to start moving him up in drafts because yeah, I, I posted a tweet earlier and it was Brian Hartline talking about the uh, wide receivers that have been there at Ohio State. And when you start looking at Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olav, you look at where they got drafted last year. And then you have Brian Hartline saying that Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than both of them. So why wouldn't Jackson Smith and Jigba go a bit higher in this draft than where I have him there at 20? And I don't necessarily think that 11 or 12 at Tennessee and Houston are bad spots for him to land. So in my next mock draft, he's one of the players that, you know, I think for this one I would take back and it will probably be higher in, in the next group of mock drafts that I have and probably in my final board as well. Love it. Yeah, he makes a lot of sense to me to, to the Texans. Uh, but like you said, if, if Tennessee can't pull the trigger and move up, uh, they need to add some talent to the wide receiver position as well, and he seems like he'd be a, a pretty pretty good fit. Um, yeah, I'll try to buzz through some of this here too. Um, I really like what you did with Kalaja Kansi to Detroit. We've talked about that at length. Um, you know, depending on you know their needs in terms of the you know interior defensive line with you know adding three edge rushers last year. I think they like all three of them. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, they could if they didn't add a corner. Um, add a corner there if they wanted to add one of the defensive linemen or something else happened for Detroit at six. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me there as well. Um, Darnell Wright, I think, is pretty interesting. I think that he is has been a trending name up. Um, I landed him. You have him going 19 to Tampa Bay. I have him down 27 to Buffalo, but I, I, I have no problem uh, putting there. I think Tampa Bay is a really hard team to mock 
Um, we're not really hearing anything. They have a lot of needs in this kind of rebuild. Um, they have a need at corner. They have a need at edge rusher. They have a need at offensive line. I could see them adding, I guess, a skill position, but I think that that's probably a little bit less likely, uh, maybe an offensive lineman. But I do agree, though. This Honestly, after this, it's crazy. This draft, after the top like 10-ish, 10 to 12 prospects, like Scott mentioned at the top, I there's so much that can happen. Like I think that like there's like a group of like 10 guys that can go anywhere in the next 10 picks. And I would think it's totally fine. Like, you know, I, I think you, you brought it up. Exactly. Jackson Smith and Jigba could go, I mean, 11, you know, not the nine. I mean, the bears could easily take him. They've been started talking about him as well. I mean, the, the fit there is a little bit sus suspicious, but you know, he could go as high as there. And like you have him, I think at, uh, you know, all the way down at 20 or Scott, him is a 20. I mean, I think that, that's very much his range. So like this whole group here is super much all like very much all over the place. Scott, I don't know if you have any thoughts on kind of this like grouping here between it looks like you talked on like what 17 to 20 ish. Yeah, I think when we look at it and, and especially in Ryan's mock draft, I, I like the fit with Kalaja Kansi air at 18 to Detroit or there at 21 to the Chargers. Tampa Bay is, is going to be a headache for, for everybody. I think you'll be hard pressed when it comes draft time to, to find too many people that actually get Tampa Bay's pick right. Um, although they do tend to pick with play pick off of players that they uh, have visits with with all the visits that I have tracked Tampa Bay is a team that has had the most visits with the most players so that's one thing that I will be looking at Darnell Wright's a player that they have visited with um, so that was part of the connection there with the along with the offensive line I don't think you can look at what Tom Brady did last year and and them not having the success that that they expected and then think that they're going to be able to go ahead and have success with Baker Mayfield behind a suspect offensive line so that's my connection there, but um, you're right. I, I think this group of players becomes a little bit harder to project. Um, you know, Nolan Smith's another guy that is hard for me to project because you can have him as high as 12 there to Houston if D'Amico Ryan's wants to to go ahead and, and get a toy, or you know, I have him here at Baltimore simply because year in and year out, Baltimore always has a player that slides that's super talented that slides to them, and they pull Every the trigger and don't pass them up. Single year. So uh, an edge is a need for them. So that's kind of where I landed in this 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 mock draft. But yeah, there's a lot that can happen with these teams in this range. Yeah, I come back from spinning apparently, and you guys are just both smiling. So I know something happened. I didn't know, but I'm like, oh, shit, they didn't hear me. <laughs> well, listeners, the router's been an issue. I don't know what happened. Uh, it was great for a while. We've had some issues the last couple of months. Got a new one, and uh, it lasted for an hour. So we'll see. It's a sign that uh, producer Sal is basically manipulate, manipulating my router to say, hey, guys are going long. Let's get off here. So what, uh, one thing I do want to bring up here, I mean, I don't have a ton of takes on the end of this draft here. So if you guys have anything else, but before we do hop off, I think it's worth noting, neither of you have Hendon Hooker in the first round. Over under four and a half quarterbacks is started opened actually with the under or at the over at plus 400 initially with uh, that. And that's now down to, we're looking at, the under four and a half quarterbacks being like minus one thirty at this point, the over being about even money. Uh, I mean, this has gotten steamed massively. Daniel Jeremiah has been on Hendon hookers train since the beginning, but that's mostly been as a prospect and like what he envisions. Mike Tannenbaum came out and said he had him going fifth overall, which is ludicrous. I mean, he's not going fifth overall. Um, but then there's been some other buzz here and there. Scott, you shook your head. Uh, I I'm shaking my head. I can, I'm considering playing the under four and a half quarterbacks. I'm just not sure. I really want that sweat. I don't know. I mean, any, any takes here, Scott on, on Hendon hooker, because 25 years old, 
coming off torn ACL in a system that doesn't translate in the NFL. Like, what are we missing? Uh, I don't think we're missing much. I think it would be absolutely reckless for any GM to uh, take the the jump to to put Hendon Hooker and draft him in the first round. I, I think he will be a second round pick. I, I just don't see the teams that uh, even Minnesota. Like you're you're a team that that can make noise in the playoffs with the roster that you have. You want to add somebody that's going to be a viable player to to kind of take the window that you have to be successful. I don't see Minnesota being that at this point in time. I just feel like it's a mass wide propaganda effort from whoever Hendon Hooker's agent is pulling some strings and getting favor from the the big media members. There, you know, there is a little bit of smoke there, but like the injury. The, being an older prospect coming from you know the Tennessee offense that's not gonna go, not gonna project well to the NFL, I, I just don't see how a GM could be that reckless and make that decision as a first round. We hear it all the time. You want to get in and get that quarterback so you could solidify the fifth year option. No one really ever does that. It doesn't really happen very often. I think Lamar is the last instance of that happening and really didn't happen a lot before Lamar. Minnesota keeps being floated about. Minnesota has five picks in the entire draft. I don't think Minnesota makes the pick of 23. I think they're trading back. They're not staying home to make a selection for a quarterback who, as Connor laid out, Josh Heupel's offense at Tennessee does not translate very well to the NFL. Uh, he's coming off of an ACL. He's 25 years old. Like He could be okay. Like I'm not saying that he has no shot to be a solid NFL player if he gets an absolute, he gets a chance in the league. It just doesn't mean that a team should take a shot. Um, and again, like, you want to go simple. There's not a home for him here at the bottom end of the draft. Yeah. We know the team can trade in. That makes sense too. But like, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of, you know, or the a team I'm trying to think of teams that maybe have a quarterback that have an answer. Like we go back to the Raiders or a team like the lions. Like they're not in position to be doing that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, let's just look at it real quick. 21 on down to 31. The Chargers have a quarterback. Baltimore has a quarterback. Minnesota has a quarterback. Jacksonville, young quarterback. New York just broke the bank to sign a quarterback. Like every single one of these teams have no need for Hendon Hooker. So it's just not going to happen in that 21 range. And you start talking in the top 20 picks, Hendon Hooker, it ain't happening. It's just not. Yeah. I like that number. I mean, I thought it was like minus 160, minus 170, but now we're like minus 130. Yeah, it's like, kept going down. I'm I'm trying to ride this train as long as possible because I was going to hit you guys goes. up. Yeah. yeah, let's see where it goes because like I'll buy, I'll get in at 135 if we see it spiking or 140 or something like that because I think that that's, I think that that's bettable. Like you said, we talked about this in earlier episodes. We don't typically like to bet. You know, we're not laying a lot of juice. We're betting props, not laying minus 140 a lot. But and again, we don't know that this won't happen. But I feel really good about the Hendon Hooker's team being, I don't know, just steam and just being discussion and i think to scott's point like his 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 agent kudos my man yeah. he's like, paying some people off 100%. yeah good for you like you know that's your job pump your guys tires you know get him uh, some visits get him drafted higher than he needs to be or should be that's your job great job but in terms of like betting on it or you know making it a good business decision for a team i just can't see someone pulling the trigger because also like this might not be a great draft but a lot of the feedback is like there's not a lot of difference once you get into a certain spot here from like picks 15 to pick 60. Like the, like some front offices think it's actually fairly deep with not a lot of discrepancy in between those types of places. So like you can see teams trying to get into that range, to, you know, to add guys more so than, you know, add future hopeful 
25 year olds coming off of a, a torn knee ligament. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one for me. Uh, Scott, anyone in the back half for you that you wanted to highlight in terms of you're feeling pretty good about that landing spot or the fit, or even maybe the player who's trending upwards on your board or upwards into the first round. Well, just to piggyback real quick off of what you just said, when I start looking at some of these evaluations and we're talking about talent there, most evaluators have first round grades on about 20 players in this draft. You know, you're going to have 31 guys go in the first round, but not all all 31 are going to have first round grades. So you start having very similar prospects there on the back half. Um, as far as players that I kind of like the fit, I, I like the Michael Mayer fit to, to, to Dallas right there. Um, you know, they just lost a, a big part of their offense, you know, with the losing a tight end. I, I like the fit and what he can do. Um, you know, Dallas is a little bit all over. I've seen defensive tackle. I, I've seen tight end. Um, he's just a player that I, I tend to like in, in that range. And then you, you start looking and, you know, I, I hate some of these names, but Adebawari, who I butchered last week, um, I, I've seen and, and heard some rumblings here down in New Orleans that uh, he's a player that they like that is on airboard. They have a, a huge need for a defensive line, so they can go in a number of, of directions. But I think when we start talking about these teams that are on this bottom end, I, I would tend to lean towards a little bit more defensive line prospects going rather than secondary prospects. I like it too. And I, I have that too. I think you see maybe there's some room for some offensive linemen and defensive linemen more so than some of the secondary prospects as well. I like the fit for Michael Mayer as well to Dallas. Um, I have him going much earlier. I have him landing with your uh, commanders at 16, um, which again, I will trust you as we get a little bit closer. If you know that seems to be a need for them, um, but we'll see. I do think that he's an interesting prospect. Um, you do have those tight ends going pretty close uh, and barely in the first round. So, I, again, we do feel pretty good. I thought if we could have got really early, like post-combine, two-and-a-half tight ends, I think we would have got plus money or at least even money. And then that steam all kind of fell out of that, and I feel pretty good about that. And then you look at you know, when that comes out, it's like minus 300. So uh, and, no, and just no to, play there. Just to touch on the tight ends, you know, Benjamin Robinson, who we had on a, a couple of weeks ago at Grinding the Mox, just had a huge update, a, a data dump on on his site there at Grinding the Mox. And they're back to having three tight ends going in the first, first 32 picks. So wow. that's that's kind of the, the other interesting to note with uh, Darnell Washington being the third. Just don't see it. I don't see the home for Darnell Washington either. Yeah. You know, in terms of these teams sticking in, is someone trading into the back end of the first round to add a tight end? Um, no, unless these other guys go early, like I have them going early, and then you know the Cowboys are locked in on a tight end, you know that's probably the only home for it. So, the guy for me, I, I really like Anton Harrison. I think he's trending up. Um, you know, the more I hear about him, just you know, starting, you know, in the Big Twelve at off at left tackle for three years as a young prospect, um, is apparently plug and play pass blocker out the gates, which I think is really nice. Maybe has some room to operate in terms of run blocking and some of that. But, uh, you know, for a team like the Bengals, who want to throw it a ton, uh, have some shifting needs on the offensive line. I kind of like that player fit um, in terms of um, him there. Again, there's, you know, same thing. Like, I, I'm back and forth. I like you going Maisie Smith. I think I want to find a home for him in the first round. I didn't, but I originally did, too. Thought maybe Dallas was interesting for him, too. So there's a lot of guys that I think it's going to be hard to cut some of these names out of the first round that, uh, you know, kind of have both trends and fits in terms of some of these needs down here. So interested to see the uh, the next Connor Allen mock draft. Um, is that coming 
uh, sooner than later? Do you have a, a time frame in terms of when you're coming back with, are you doing just the third for uh, just before the draft? You're going to do another one soon. No, I'll probably do another one. Um, you know, I think, yeah, probably the next week, I'd guess sometime. I and mean, we just need more news. We need more markets, you know, all that stuff. Like, I think that that's, yeah, we just need more of everything. And you can find these on the site, 444.com. Uh, and again, betting subscription gets you access to all the picks. You want to get all those plays right away. Subscribe. Uh, use the $5 deal with, with No House Advantage. Again, use the promo code 444BETS. Deposit five bucks. Five bucks. And you get a three-month betting sub. Again, it doesn't get you everything. It won't get you the full year. It won't get you the NFL season. But it gets you the three months and everything that comes with it. So you get the NBA playoffs. You get the MMA stuff that Scott has going on. You get all of our draft plays and all of those good things. So uh, good job, fellas. Uh, decent job router not bad could be better but uh good stuff uh connor who's winning the masters dude i have no idea i did that masters pool um i think i just picked four random names that i like i picked like you, you need to pick in Torres, like okay um i don't know i think i picked scotty um my my father-in-law says that i look like scotty scheffler so i'm gonna take that and run with it um so I see it a little bit you know I'll, I'll ride with that i'm sure scotty and i are not the same ethnicity but Oh, 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 we got a well, we're probably too late to talk about this, but we got a couple more over-unders here that just dropped. No, we're good. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba over-under 11 and a half. Mm-hmm. Probably a little too high. Probably, probably a little, little too high. Too high. Um, or I don't know, too low. I would bet the over on that. I, I bet the over That's right there in the range. So it's basically I either, mean, he, either he goes to Tennessee or it's over. That's Bears, Tennessee, or yeah. way over. I mean, even then, like, I don't think the, the Bears, I don't think so. Joey Porter Jr., 16 and a half. Those are the two that were on this drop. I, I like Joey Porter. I don't think he gets past Washington. Yeah. So under 16 and a half, they're an interesting look. Uh, I got to tell my guy, thank you. You know, shout out the DraftKings trader. Just hits us, hits us up mid show. We're not streaming, but we will probably. In the coming weeks, and we can have some more live reactions to this. Lines. Those aren't bad. Those are decent numbers. Uh, they know what they're doing. This is the problem. Like they, you know, we just we destroyed this this market, and now they are really slow, and they wait for all the mocks, and they wait for all the information, and then uh, yeah, they're just they're getting smarter. So makes sense. You know, you don't want to have the PL line uh, of just you know big red L's when they're you know the books are printing uh hand over fist on everything else that they can put a same game parlay on so they want to make sure they get as sharp as they can so we'll see you all next time